everybody. This is the Wild Ass Podcast, and I am your host, Wild Ass Craig. This is episode 13, and in this episode, I get to introduce all of you to Brian Clock. Although you may not know him by his name, you may have probably seen his product all over the country at motorcycle events throughout the United States. If you aren't someone fortunate enough to have gotten to a motorcycle event, you've probably seen Brian's product hanging on the wall of your local motorcycle shop. Based out of Mitchell, South Dakota, Clockworks is one of the most well-known names in the V-Twin segment of the motorcycle industry. In this podcast, we're going to learn more about Brian, his personal life, and just who is the man that is the face of Clockworks. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm excited uh, to do this. And man, you made me sound good right there. You made like you made us sound like a big deal. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a big deal. You know what's funny? You say that. <laughs> I like it. But I mean, you know, it's not who I feel like I am. And you know, when you're like, yeah, you've seen this and it's one of the, you know, they're one of the biggest names in the industry. I'm like, yeah, I kind of, I guess we are, you know, when I'm sitting here, I'm, li- I'm, I'm pretending I'm just one of your listeners. So I'm just listening in. I'm like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's you don't funny. always hear that. You know? It's funny and it's hard Very to cool. have it pointed out because, you know, when people talk about clockworks, I don't think of clockworks. I think of Brian. I think of Gene. I think of all the guys there. I don't think of the, the brand, but it's funny that everybody knows the brand, but I'm fortunate enough to get to know all of the people, and it's <laughs> yeah, really cool. You're part of our family. We eat lunch with you every time we go to one of these circuses. <laughs> we do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so welcome aboard. I'm I'm super honored to have you take time mm-hmm. out of your day. I know you're super busy, and for the listeners, they know this is recorded, but you are actually, are you at the office today? Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm sitting okay. at my messy, messy, messy desk. I wasn't feeling so hot. I was out last week, and so... Uh, when people don't know where to put things that come in for me, they just stack them up. So yeah, I've I'm, got a stack. I'm familiar with that, so I get it. So thank you for taking the time out of your day and uh, helping me make sure this happens. And the key is we're making this happen when it does. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. How did things begin? Like, how did you get into well, motorcycling first? I mean, I happen to know the story, but not all yeah, my listeners I'm, do. I'm, I'm from a town of... Uh, 300 maybe 80 people Emory South Dakota it's about 25 miles uh, just straight east of Mitchell so Mitchell was the big town it's where we came when we wanted to go out for pizza go to a movie um, just cruise Main Street go buy something you know you would go to Mitchell and so growing up in that little town um, my dad bought me a 1970 Honda QA50 it was green of all things. I thought only Kawasaki's were green, but I have a green Honda and it was my little mini bike and I would ride around in the vacant lot um, in, as a fourth and fifth grader and thought that was just the coolest thing ever. Uh, I didn't realize I had an entrepreneurial bug at the point. I would charge the neighbor kids maybe a nickel or something to go like 10 laps and then uh, that would give me 25 cents because I maybe had five friends that actually had a nickel. And that would make me buy a comic book or get some bubble gum or whatever at the local little store. And then uh, when I was 14 years old, my dad took me to Sioux Falls and said, you've been working hard at the shop and on the farm. And he bought me a brand new 1981 Honda CM400T. So I had a new motorcycle before I ever had a car. And if you wanted to drive a car, you had to make sure dad's cars were clean and well taken care of. And so that was a big deal for us as kids. And, uh, but having that new Honda, I just thought 
you know, the world was my oyster. I could go anywhere. I could do anything, you know, within the parameters that dad gave me, but at least I was in control. Right. And, uh, that was super fun and put a lot of miles on that bike and eventually graduated to a, uh, Yamaha Virago. And my dad and mom, ironically enough, I don't tell this story very often, took it to the Black Hills and they were on a vacation. My aunt and uncle, uh, two of them lived in Spearfish. And so my dad called me and I was doing the end of day books at our local little gas station that we owned there in Emory. And um, I had graduated to book work at that point. So I knew how to do that at the end of the day and close out the books. And so I was doing it. And dad called me and said, man, this little bike of yours is just too small. I said, yeah, maybe for you, for me, it's perfect. You know, <laughs> he goes, well, anyway, I traded it off. I said, what? what, what, hold on. You traded off my motorcycle. He goes, yeah, I got a brand new Honda Aston case. I said, well, that sounds great for you, dad. Uh, what am I supposed to do? And he goes, well, I'm going to give you my old gold wing. Well, as a 98 pound weakling, 16, 17-year-old kid, the last thing you want to do is ride an 800, 900-pound gold wing, right? <laughs> and yet, that my dad threw me into baggers at a young age. So I owned a gold wing. And uh, unbeknownst to my dad at the time, but if one of my cousins was a bit of a daredevil and he would get on the back of it, and uh, if he was on the back, I had enough ballast to actually make that thing wheelie down Main Street Emory. And uh, the kids would all get excited. And eventually my dad learned that I was wheeling that bagger. He was not excited about it. But since then, uh, you know, there's people that stunt a million times better than anything I ever did. But I do have a soft spot in my heart for gold wings. And so when people say, why do you do Indian? Why do you do gold wing? Why haven't you, you know, why don't you make something for my Kawasaki Vaquero, my BMW? Well, I, I'm happy to do it. And if we have the time, I'll do it. Because at the end of the day, I just love motorcycles. I mean, it, it's what, you know, it, it's what I knew from as a young kid. My Everybody would come to my dad's house with their 750 Hondas and get together. And there might be 20 guys out there. And I thought, man, how cool is this? They're all just going out for a ride, enjoying themselves. And, you know, there was every color under the rainbow. And I was like, I like it. I like motorcycles. So that's really kind of where it started for me. That's cool. You want to know, and I don't know if you knew this or not, my yeah. very first bike was a honda qa50 that was green no really yes i remember i had to you write know a where it paper. Is? i don't i don't i i remember i had to write a paper in school and uh i i remember referring to it as being emerald green because it was like one of those descriptive papers in the sixth grade or yeah. whatever yeah and uh i remember that but the bike was green that's funny and I've, yeah, because they made it. Apparently, they made a green one, a yellow one, and a red one, or something. I don't even know. It's crazy. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, I've, I've always <laughs> tried ironic, to find another one. Green one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I eventually found one in, I believe it was Illinois or something. I bought it sight unseen, and still needs uh, some restoration, some help. But if nothing else, I look over it, and it makes me smile. Right. Because yeah. it just was like, wow, I remember that. But boy, yeah, I had a hunt for the green one. You know? It's it's not there That's at why the I shop, right is away it? If you knew it was, I never keep it here, and I need to keep it here. Yeah. Uh, I, I have it in another building. But now that I know that you're part of the green QA50 club, <laughs> uh, anybody else who's a listener out there, if you had a QA50, we just want to hear what color it is. So if there's a way that you can comment on this post or this podcast thing, Tell us, was yours red? Was it blue? What year was it? You know, or did you have one of the green ones? 
Yeah, that's crazy. That's awesome. That's that awesome. That's funny. So, so that yeah, just I, I went totally on, stole my mind. On, <laughs> no, so I went on to college, right? And then in college, still motorcycle guy, still riding around. And one of those fateful weekends, my parents didn't want me to go to Sturgis by myself, right? So me and my friend went out right before Sturgis. We were lucky enough to catch Arlen Ness, and I believe it was, um, oh, I can't think of his name right now, one of our other hamster friends now, from um, Al Rickenbach from Wisconsin. And Al had this black FXR with like gold leaf and just was the most stunning motorcycle, right? It had the little nest bearing on it. And these guys had their coats kind of rolled up in a ball and, and a little roll and kind of stuck in that nest bearing inside, just kind of tucked in there above their handlebars. And I saw them at a, a bar that was at the end of Spearfish Canyon. And I purposely stopped there because I saw these motorcycles and went in just to get a soda. And um, man, I was like, I think a bar was called Screaming L Rides back in the day. And I was just like blown away by these bikes. And I'm like, if I could ever own a Harley that would be that cool, I would be all over that. And so that became my moment of truth, if you will, about when I got bit by the custom motorcycle bug. Sure. Did, then, you, did you say what you were riding but, at the time? I was still riding that Goldwing. Okay. I was still riding that Goldwing. And so um, when we got home i did a little more research and started buying all these harley motorcycle magazines you know whether it was street chopper hot bike hot rod bikes i mean i got them all and i easy riders and i thought man this is cool i i need to do this i don't understand this but i like it you know and then when i went to i so i bought my first fxr which was a 1986 fxr and the guy was an alcoholic that i got from Okay. Uh, I didn't know that, but I found out later he got thrown in jail. That's why he was selling the bike. The license plate um, was upside down, mounted on the bike upside down uh, when I bought it. It was weird colored paint. And so I ended up taking it all apart and painting it candy red with no emblems, no nothing. And man, my dad's friends, some of the big motorcycle guys he rode with are like, you're an idiot kid. You totally ruined that bike. What were you thinking? And I'm like, well, I was thinking I spent $800 and I improved it, you know. <laughs> right. I ended up selling that bike and making $800 after I rode it for a year, a whole year. And I thought, wow, this is a great. I've never made money on buying a motorcycle before. This is the greatest thing ever. And the, the popularity of Harleys was tough at that time, right? So I bought another one, another FXR later on. I rode that one. Uh, 1988 and i rode it all the way down to uh, daytona in march you imagine how cold that was in I south can. dakota yep. the bank clock said 20 degrees and i had my snowmobile stuff on my face mask underneath the hood and everything and we we went down there and man it stayed cold the whole way ironically enough i ran into arlen Ness. he it was probably about 1990 and he had the ferrari bike it's a really wide tire bike with Ferrari scoops on the side of it, uh, dual blowers on it. And I just was amazed at it. I'm crawling around that thing looking at it, and Arlen's looking at me going, man, you really like this bike, huh? And I said, yeah, I'm a huge fan. I, I just think it's amazing. And he goes, where are you from? And I said, South Dakota. He goes, I bet that was a cold ride. I said, yeah, you're no kidding. It was really cold. And he goes, oh, man, you really rode 
you rode down here from South Dakota? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh my God, you know, <laughs> you know, he, he loves South Dakota. He visited Sturgis all the time. So he knew how cold it was. And that kind of, um, just the fact that he took the time for me, um, I thought, you know, what a gentleman, what a nice guy. He didn't have to even ask where I was from or even care. Right. But he was always concerned about you. And that's one thing I learned from him and from Donnie Smith both is they'll always ask you, you know, how's your bike? How's your project? How's your wife? How's your kids? How's this? How's that? And they always turn the conversation on to you. And if that's one thing you can take away from anything you hear today is um, try to be one of the gentlemen of your industry, one of the gentlemen of your situation, and put the spotlight on the other guy. And so inevitably it will come back to you a hundredfold. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's one thing I've learned about you throughout the years. And I, I was trying to think of it this morning, of course, knowing we're going to record. Like, how long have we known each other? I think <laughs> I, I first started coming to Daytona 11 years ago. So I'm guessing it was 10 years ago for sure. For sure. Yeah. So I've, yeah, I've always noticed that about you. You've always cared about everybody around you. And uh, I, I think that's very cool. So I always look up to well, you for that. So what you're well, saying. Well, thanks. When they... <laughs> Well, when they told me, you know, Brian, what are you, what is your hope? Like, where do you hope to go with this custom motorcycle thing? Right. And, uh, I said, you know, I want to be one of the gentlemen of our industry. I want to be Donnie Smith. I want to be an Arlen Ness, you know, and I'm not nearly as accomplished as either one of those guys, but boy, I really try hard. If somebody comes in the shop or has a question or does something like we had a guy come in this morning and he said, my bike is knocking. I'm on my way from Minneapolis. I, I used to live in Elk River, and I'm I'm going to, to Salt Lake City, Utah, and I have a problem. And I'm like, well, I know what's happened. Probably your compensator sprocket worked loose, and it just is banging around your primary. Um, let me get one of my texts, and, and I did, and the guy started it up. And sure enough, that's what it was. We fixed it all up for him. He left here with a brand-new windshield. And uh, nice. we'll enjoy and enjoy his ride to uh, Salt Lake, you know, but just came off a divorce. And, um, you know, we don't do service here. That's not our thing. We don't have that anymore. We're a parts company. Sure. And yet in my heart of hearts, I'm a motorcyclist. And I don't want to see anybody stranded anywhere, you know, and I knew we could fix it. So we did. That is cool. That reminds me. So you haven't heard yet because it hasn't been released, but Pastor Mike was on my last he was he was the previous episode to this. Oh was, man, uh, you learned some stuff there. Your cousin, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My cousin Mike Decker, who man, he has been there for me. He really uh they used to come to South Dakota and ride horses in the summertime and hang out. They loved to come back to South Dakota wherever they were living at, whether they were in Kansas or Minnesota or even Canada for a while. And they would always come back to South Dakota for the winter or the summertime. And, uh, when I went through a divorce in 2016, um, I called on Mike and man, did he step in the gap and he stepped in the gap and literally I probably called him every two days and just checked in and went, am I, what am I thinking? Am I doing this wrong? How do I do it right? Um, that, that was the thing I was the most scared of in my life is that my parents got a divorce and I hated it. And I was afraid I would end up getting divorced. And so I never wanted to get married. And when it happened to me, man, it, it blew me away. And yet something in my brain or something snapped. And I said, I have two choices. 
I can be bitter or I can be better. And I read every book and studied everything I could think of and talked to Mike, like I said, on the regular and, and went for better. And, you know, uh, my wife and uh, now Vanessa, I hope that she feels I'm better. Uh, she didn't know me before, but I realized <laughs> I did have a communication issue and um, it's too easy to turn um, and to think about what you're concerned about. Right. Absolutely. And in, in every relationship, I say relationships are like teeter totters. Somebody taught, taught me once, you know, a teeter totter doesn't work. If you just sit down on your end, if you push back up, it goes up and down. Right. But the minute you find yourself sitting on your end or not doing your part, it's not going to work. And it doesn't matter if it's a business relationship, a, a spiritual relationship, a, a husband, wife relationship, a, dating relationship, uh, brother-sister relationship, your mom and dad. If you're not doing your part in that relationship, you need to look in the mirror and realize that you're not pushing up or down on that teeter-totter first and then worry about what the other person's doing. You can't control the other person. You can only control your side of that teeter-totter. So there you go. There's my second nugget of wisdom that for is, the day. Uh, that's a great piece of advice that probably I could use. <laughs> yeah. And as you're, as it's, you're saying it, I think everybody can, yeah. you know, as you're saying it, I'm thinking, okay, I'm sitting on the teeter totter, not doing anything, wondering why shit keeps falling my way. Right. It makes sense. I'm trying to do it all myself and not communicating to figure out whatever's going on. Not, I mean, we've all been through that. So that's just my, right. but you, you can hand it off. You have someone else on the other end of the teeter totter who wants to help you and they will push up or push down or whatever you need to do, but not if you're not communicating. Yeah, that is. They don't. They don't great. know. They can't read your mind. Nope, so, that's great advice. Yeah. So fast forward to 1990. I'm in the Black Hills. It's the 50th anniversary of Sturgis. And uh, man, there is people out there. It is packed, out of control. They weren't ready for the the throng of people that came. It was out of control. I'm riding a Yamaha SZR 600 with a jet kit and a pipe and all kinds of stuff. And I actually have two of them. My girlfriend at the time had one uh, that she would ride once in a while. And we're going through the hills. And one of the clubs came up beside me on the way down from Mount Rushmore. And the guy tried to kick me off my motorcycle because I was on a Japanese motorcycle. And uh, I thought, okay, well, let's see what you got. So I got on it. He got on it. We went racing down the canyons, and uh, my friends eventually caught up, and I clearly lost that guy. It was easy. And they're like, man, that was crazy. I'm like, yep. It's just, you know, there was so much. Then 1990 was a different time, right, in motorcycles. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, there was a – you didn't really bring your Japanese bike and park it on Main Street unless it was a 750 Honda Chopper or something cool, right? And then – I was later on going down Main Street and another group of bikers, uh, another gang, was in front of a couple bars and the guy came off the curb and tried to push me, you know, just shove me, hit me in the shoulder, right? Okay. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, I love motorcycles and this sucks, you know? Yeah. And I sure. can, I can, I can build whatever they're building. I can ride whatever they're riding. I'm done with this. I parked one of them on my uncle's lawn and sold it immediately that week. I took the other one home and sold it. In the meantime, I went to the drag specialties truck on the regular. 
Jim Betlock was uh, later on became the head of the V-Twin Expo in Cincinnati, uh, as many of you might know him, or the lot guru for death, for uh, Daytona Harley-Davidson for the Rossmeyers. But he was the guy at Drake Specialty. So him and Tom Motzko were there, and uh, Tom Maslowski, better known as Ski, and um, I would go there all the time. Because Drag had all the latest coolest parts from Don Hotop, Arlen Ness, you name it. If it was hot and out on the market, they had it. So I'd go to that truck to see the cool stuff. And I would just drool over these FXRs these guys had. Tom Motzko to this day still has his. Jim um, got caught by his daughter, Darcy. And I think we were at Two Wheelers on Main Street. Two wheelers are celebrating. They're a shop out of Denver now, celebrating 50 years of being in the motorcycle industry. Always had cool bikes out front. I went there and Jim's bike was there. And Darcy said, Dad, that kid's crazy about your motorcycle. We see him everywhere. Why don't you just go out there and talk to him? Luckily, Jim came out and talked to me. And this is how long ago this was. He sent me a thermal fax. You know, the kind that when it came out of your machine rolled up. And uh, he sent me a thermal fax of all the parts that he bought from Drake Specialties and what he did to his police bike, his 1988 police bike, to make it cool. I got on the phone. He explained police bikes to me and why, why I would want to buy that because I was going to tear off all the good parts if I bought a, uh, a regular FXR low rider or something else cool. And I was going to change it anyway, which he was right. So I got a hold of Jim Entman, who is one of the founders, Jim and Lonnie Entman of J&L Harley-Davidson in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And he had one that was his demo. Had 5,000 miles on it. I purchased it from him in October and uh, proceeded to tear it to nothing. All Tear it all the way down. Perfectly good cop bike. I tore it apart. Right down to the frame, the motor was sitting out of it. My dad was so mad at me because I wrecked a perfectly good. At that time, the bike might have cost me like eight grand or nine grand. And I tore apart a perfectly good motorcycle, and he was so pissed. And uh, needless to say, he was right. The bike stayed apart for two years. I had nothing to ride <laughs> because I tore this bike apart. But I was wanted to do it as an A-plus build, right? Sure. or at least what I thought. So I would change my mind. I would change the paint color. I would change the brackets. I would try to buy a, a $500 Delorto carburetor, which would now be like two grand. It's like a dual throat Weber or something is, is the idea of it. And um, man, I wanted that thing to be cool. At the time I took my bike, the frame, put it in my mom's Monte Carlo, drove it to Minneapolis and Donnie Smith and Rob Roll literally raked my frame in the garage behind Donnie's house. That's where his shop was at that time. And so fast forward to now Donnie Smith being almost like my dad in this industry. I, I revere that guy. He just celebrated his 80th birthday and is just one of the greatest people you're ever going to meet, you know? And uh, so he helped me out a lot, answered a lot of dumb questions. Jim Betlock answered all my questions. Tom Motzko's helped me out uh, in business and with my bikes. And man, I tell you what, I just couldn't imagine being in another industry. I, I have built so many bikes and all I wanted to do at that time. And when I was in high school, I was the kid who was doodling, not paying attention in class. It was easy for me. I could read something, take a test on it. And then I wouldn't know what it was the next week, but I would, my short-term memory is incredible. And um, I would be the doodler, you know, and fast forward to 
me just deciding I wanted to build a bike or a car that would be in a magazine. Sure. And now, you know, we're celebrating 25 years of Clockworks this year. Our birthday party is on August 4th. You're all welcome to come. We'll have our pre-Sturgis, our Palace City pre-Sturgis party. It's, we're now our 15th year of that. It's become a big event downtown Mitchell. There's probably about 5,000 people. So book your hotel rooms and come on into town. We'll have a, a fun night of activities and day of activities here even at our shop uh, just for our 25th. So That's awesome. I got to go back to Please. your first Sturgis experience and Oof. kudos to you for continuing to come. And unfortunately those stories keep a lot of people from coming to Sturgis. So two okay, things, two was, things we need. What, yeah. That was back then. So how do we make sure people know that that's not the case now? And then the other thing is kudos to you for, I mean, yeah, you sold your bike, but you, you didn't stop coming and then you ended up making a career out of it. Just those well, little mindset and, and, changes that most people don't make. And my my first time I went to Sturgis, and, and I'll back it up. It wasn't the 50th, okay? I've been going there since I was eight years old. I'm 55. So that's 47 years of Sturgis just for me, okay? My mom and dad would take me out there. We would go out. We would stay at my cousin's in Spearfish. We'd go tubing down the creek, all this stuff. There'd be motorcycles all over the place. But I wasn't that big into it. I was eight years old, you know? Right. I didn't know. But I was always being exposed to, wow, look at all these people getting together in groups and riding and going somewhere and doing things, you know, whether it was at my dad's house and just the local guys or whether it was that trip. Um, I have a photo of my dad and his best friend, uh, Sylvan Bleeker, in 1966, in front of the gas station that my dad eventually ended up owning. And I would have been one month away from being born at that time. Huh. You can imagine how excited my mom was that my dad was leaving for surgery. Right. Yeah, and my dad was on a, like a 1958 Harley Duo Glide or something, right? And, and, and uh, Sylvan had a sportster. So it's always been kind of around and, you know, being from South Dakota, I'm, I pound my fist pretty hard for our state. I'm pretty proud of the 840,000 people in this state or whatever the number is right now and, and what they can get done and how they're good to people, how they host people. Right. So yeah, you can see some bad things in Sturgis. You can find bad people in Sturgis. You can have bad experiences in Sturgis. You can get overcharged for, a room or whatever the case is, or you can find the best of the best. And I think the more often you come, the more chances you have, the more opportunities you take. I asked Arlen S. I said, Arlen, tell me this, where's the best place in the whole world to ride? Knowing he'd been everywhere, right? Yep. He said, let me turn it around on you, Brian. Where would you like to ride? I said, honestly, Arlen, I don't know. That's why I'm asking. I, I think I want to ride in Italy, which I still have not done. And he goes, that would be awesome. That, it, Italy is a great place. That is a great place to want to ride. I said, okay, perfect. Now, where is the best place? And he said, honestly, Spearfish Canyon, right there in your home state. And he said, if you go down Spearfish Canyon, that 14 miles at sunset or sunrise, either one, going to be the best part of your day and i was like wow you know here's a guy who's written everywhere 
I mean, and there are some incredible roads in this world and in this U.S. even, right? And and it was 14 miles in Spearfish Canyon that were near and dear to his heart. And that's actually where the first time I ever saw one of his motorcycles. That's cool. And how fortunate are we to have been riding there? And I would agree that that, that whole Black Hills area <laughs> is amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to go out there and work during Sturgis, you know? Like, because everybody wants to go on those rides. Everybody wants to be a part of that. So if you've never been and you're thinking about doing it, whether you come out during the rally, which I think is something everyone should do, I think it's the greatest motorcycle riding rally that there is in the, in the whole nation. Uh, there's a lot of great rallies, but that is one of the best ones to, if you want to go get some miles on your motorcycle. And the other thing about it is it's the time of year when people are riding to Sturgis. You don't always say, I'm riding to Daytona because clearly we all know what it's like in March in Minnesota and in South Dakota and other points, whether you're in Ohio or Pennsylvania, it's snowy, it's cold, you know? So you trailer down, you unload your bike in Daytona and you cruise around Daytona and you get that motorcycle fix that you've been longing for after a long winter, right? Yeah. But in August, July, man, you want to ride from anywhere in the country to Sturgis. It's a, it's a thing. Do it. You'll be happy you did. Everybody needs to do it. And it's yep. not like it was in 1990. Nobody's going to push you off your motorcycle. Yeah, I, no, I, not even Everybody's close. there not and everybody's close. excited that everybody's there. Yeah, no, for sure. It's definitely a different situation. And uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I don't know what to tell you, Craig. Motorcycles have been so incredible to me and are such a big part of my, who I am, right? And uh, this gentleman this morning, maybe, maybe your listeners know or don't know, I'm a faith-based business, okay? Um, that didn't happen overnight. And uh, maybe it's not something you even want to talk about on your podcast. But um, absolutely, me, I had a pastor on my show. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, then absolutely, gonna, we talk about it. I'll, then I'll open up this can of worms. Okay, I used to freak out, and I would be broke. I didn't have enough money to build the windshield, to grow my business, to do what I needed to do, and the bank just didn't understand who I am or who I was or what I thought I could become. They didn't see the vision I saw, and so inevitably they would not want to give me the money. And so when I was broke before, and then I designed this incredible windshield in 2006 and going into seven, and I was even broker, if that's a word. And uh, I would, I would get uh, the three or four people that were nearest to me at that time. And we would just pray. Right. And then I realized, you know what? God doesn't want me to come to him only when I'm in trouble. I can't be, the as they say a deathbed christian where you're burning in a car and you're like god if you can just save me from this right now i will do whatever you ask right well i was doing that on a regular basis i was having these panic moments and he's like no i want to talk to you every day well i had read a book by norm miller from interstate battery back when i was in college interstate battery guys stopped at my dad's gas station we sold interstate batteries and i read his book and he talked about how he, um, you know, was an alcoholic and some other things and fell, you know, far away. And then when he got his life back on track is when he got his business back on track and when interstate batteries really started going, right? And uh, I thought, man, wouldn't it be great if I could have that kind of business? 
And then I realized I do have that kind of business. I'm just not looking to the right source. I'm not looking to the right guidance. And yet, you know, I, I was there. My parents raised me in a church and, and, you know, I was the youth pastor, our youth leader, if you will, the youth group guy, uh, traveled all over the country with them. And yet I'd gone completely off the track. I was all about me, all about Brian, all about my motorcycles and all about when I could party and where. Sure. And, uh, man, business was getting tough and man, I, my stuff was popular, but I had no money. And I was just robbing Peter to pay Paul. And I just couldn't find the other side of it. And finally I said, you know what? We're going to pray here every morning. And so we're going to stand here as a team and I'm going to burn 20 minutes. And I know that times five, that's, you know, whatever, two hours worth of somebody's precious time I'm wasting, if you will, or spending. Okay. And I said, you don't have to believe what I believe, but you're getting paid to sing. So just stand there and stare at me if you'd like to. But part of my thing I need to do is I need to exercise my relationship every morning. And so I did it. I praised him for the great stuff that was happening. And I asked him for help with the stuff I didn't understand. Uh, Now, you know, my shop has been through tons of different employees, different leadership, been through a divorce, been through a flood in 2019. We had four feet of water through my entire building. It was like a million dollar loss. And yet somehow God's right there. He's always filled in the gap. Even when I didn't understand it, maybe didn't understand the life lesson I needed to learn. And I think it's because of my daily relationship that I'm aware now of, well, this really sucks. My business is flooded. I'm guessing God just wants me to clean this whole place out. And I've never done that. And I'm a bit of a hoarder uh, when it comes to my motorcycle parts and things. And so maybe he's just saying, don't hold on to that like it's your last penny. Throw it away and I'll give you some more pennies. Sure. And that's exactly what happened. Making room. I had to clean. Yeah, I had to clean room and he couldn't give me any more because my hand was full. I wasn't willing to give it away. Very good way to look at it. I would agree completely. It's, um, you know, and I, I told the, the guy who was here this morning, I said, uh, I could charge you because your back's up against the wall and your bike's broke. I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is if you're willing to buy our windshield, I'll let that be the labor, that be the oil, that be the gasket. Because I want you to have the greatest experience you can from here all the way to Salt Lake. And I want you to always look at this motorcycle and this windshield and this trip as a start to the next five years of your life, not the past five. You can't change yesterday. You can seize today and you can plan for tomorrow. But I just told the guy, I said, I want you to think about the next five years as you're riding out the building. What do you want that to look like? And if you can visualize it, you can make it happen. Yeah, perfect advice. And you know what I think is really neat is I will meet that guy. Because like everybody you've helped on the road, or everybody you've <laughs> helped on the road, they become friends, and then we get to meet them, and then we become friends with them as well. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. We're very fortunate. Um, I I don't know. I, I try to use those opportunities to, you know, today I had Ryan and Danny both there, and I wanted to show them this is what I'm going to do. 
I'm not looking at this as a way to opportunize and make money on this guy's misfortune. I want it to be, I'm taking what is a bad experience for him this morning and what he's panicked about, and I make it a great experience for him. So he realizes that in those moments, in the struggle, in the flood, in the broke down motorcycle, there's a silver lining, but you're just not hearing it. You're not looking at it. You're not listening. Okay. And in this case, I'm very aware of that stuff. And so I'm like, I got you, dude, watch this. And the guy, it changed his whole attitude about his day, about what is, what was going to happen next. And he left here just excited, right? Excited about life. And if we can do that for others, it'll come back to you tenfold every time. Absolutely. And it just happens to be that motorcycles is my medium. <laughs> I always say I'm a motorcycle missionary. I think the good Lord gives me and, and all the people he puts around me just ideas on how to be creative and make cool parts for people to make their motorcycle experience better so we can have a relationship. Because one of the things I teach all of these young kids that come here is relationships are everything. It wouldn't matter if you took away all these fancy motorcycles that are sitting in the showroom and all the bikes that I've ever built over the years. I would give them all up for the relationships that I have because even though, you know, like God rest his soul, Arlaness has passed, I still am telling Arlaness stories. He had an impact on my life. So I would challenge your listeners today to say, what impact are you having on five people that are around you? That's a good challenge are, that everybody needs to take. Yeah, I mean, are Look you affecting themselves. their life? Are you helping them be a better employee? Are you teaching them a trade or a skill they need? Are you encouraging them in some way? Did you just go help your neighbor mow his lawn or did you take him a frozen pizza, which is the only thing I can make because his wife passed and he just needs someone to sit down and eat pizza with. You know, so many times we're always like, man, I could change the world. I would go do this. And yet it's hardest to fix across the street. It's hardest to fix right next door. It's hardest to fix the guy that sits in your office or is, is, you know, working with you because that to you becomes your normal and you don't look at it like we can make it better and yet you can make it better. Right. Absolutely. Well, like I said, before we, uh, we started recording, I had no plans of what direction this conversation <laughs> was going to go. That would, sorry, I don't know. And, it doesn't surprise me that it went that direction because I've, I've seen you in action and now there's a guy from, did you say he's from Elk River? That, yeah, uh, Elk River, Minnesota. Yeah. So now he's met you. God had you in his path where he needed to be, <clears throat> where you needed to be. It's a good deal all the way around. But yeah, I, I didn't know what direction this conversation was going to go. And uh, I'm, I'm actually happy it went this way. So, and to question whether or not we would talk about that on my show, you know me well enough to know that. People don't like it. Shut it off. Yep. Understood. Well, uh, I just hope that people, you know, understand that like, okay, that's who Clockworks is as a brand. I don't care that anyone knows who Brian Clock is. Okay. Um, now, you know, my heart for people. Now, you know, my heart for helping. That's who I believe this team is. I believe these people are those folks. Craig has sat down with us at dinner a lot of times, a lot of times. Every time we go to an event, we'll try to even pick a night um, as our friendship has just grown stronger and stronger. 
and take our teams to dinner together. Uh, the last time, where were we at? Arizona Bike Week? Or I can't remember now. No, no, it was Donnie Smith's show. Donnie Smith's show. And we all ended up in the same restaurant. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I said, can we just take this whole back room? Well, you want to sit with these people? Yes, absolutely. We want to sit with these people, <laughs> you know? And so then we go around the room. And one of the things you could try at your own table, in your own home, or at your next business dinner is encourage everyone to just put their phones down and say, what was your favorite part of the day? We play that a lot. And it encourages you to look back at the day. You can't say what someone else says. So if they say, well, we got to go on that roller coaster. Well, the next person can't say, well, I got to go on the roller coaster with them. No, come up with something different because it'll help you look at the positive in your day and help you analyze the last, 12 hours or wherever it's been and say, wow, that was good. And if somebody else comes up with that one nugget, you're like, I wish I would have thought of that. Don't worry about that. More importantly, just share the smile and realize you're part of that nugget. You were part of, you were there. You watched us help that guy from Elk River or whatever it was like today. So. Right. And sitting around that table, you know, you might have one customer that's kind of upset your day and you can't get your mind off it. And then you realize that when you're with 15 other positive incidences that happened that day, incidents. Did I say yeah. that right? And I you, don't know what I said. Yeah, but, perfect. perfect. <laughs> but it, it's like, oh, today was actually pretty damn good. Yeah. And you can talk about that guy or that person that upset you. And maybe one of those other people around you or you just hearing their perspective will help you have a different perspective on it. And it allows you to kind of let it go, right? And you're like, nah, you know what? I see what he did there and how he pushed my button. And I'm not going to let him do that next time or whoever the next guy is that a girl is that does that to you. And so it's a, it's, it's amazing what you can learn from just saying, what is your favorite part of the day? <laughs> it is. And it, yeah, it's so cool. Everyone's perspective on different things. Absolutely. Is it? Did you grow up doing that? No. That I started I at, one day, at Clockworks? Yeah, that just started at dinner one night. I'm like, okay, I'm sick of these people all looking at their phones and not having conversations. Like, how can I get them to have a conversation? Because keep in mind, and you know this, Craig, and your team knows this, when you get done being on, turned on at Sturgis for 12 hours a day, talking to people, talking to people, talking to people, answering questions, talking to people, you're cooked, right? Absolutely. So when you go to dinner, you just assume not talk to anybody, even the people you're with. And so this allows you to look at it differently and go, okay, I'm being forced out of my comfort zone. I need to talk and I have to think of what was my favorite part of today. And it inevitably ends up with great conversations, great stories, and you just got to make sure everybody gets their chance and it's fun. It is. It's funny you mentioned that after the after working all day at the rallies. When I always explain it to people, when we get back to our houses, I'm sure it's the same as yours. You get back to your house and everybody scatters. It's everybody goes to their own room. They're quiet, and then if you're hanging out in the kitchen, one by yeah. one, people start trickling back out as they're ready to start talking again. Yeah, because you just get so cooked, and you're just like, man, I can't do anymore. I just don't even know what to say. I, I'm burned out. Like I'm, you know, I have no more thoughts. I have no more conversation. I don't want to talk. Right? I have run out of words. 
So exactly. I've been fortunate enough to meet your dad, your brother, Troy. Um, you guys are no. all very, <laughs> you know, like very positive, anytime, upbeat anytime, people. I think it's anytime cool. Anytime somebody mentions my brother, Troy, I'm just like, wow, what, what kind of conversation that was. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, put he us, is he, a uh, funny dude. He found us yeah, a place he, to stay in Arizona. That's right. That's right. I, yep, so I, I talk to him now at least twice a year, checking in and then making nice. sure we have places. Or if we can really find cool. a place, I always try to go there first. And then I'll always throw right. in there. I don't know if you've heard from your brother or not, but he might need something too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Better call him. Um, I appreciate that. Watching out for me. Yeah. So it's pretty funny. So you got in and we'll just say it was relatively inexpensive. It probably was real, real similar, but what would you say to somebody now that would want to try to customize a bike or even how, how would you advise somebody to go about that? If, if I wanted to customize a bike right now, I mean, the FXR thing is what I got my teeth cut on. Right. But they're, they're really going up in value and they're becoming more and more expensive and the parts are harder and harder to find. Okay. I think the, the good pick right now is to buy a Dyna or a Softail. And I would go buy like a 2000 and up Softail would be a twin cam. Uh, very reliable motor, very easy to build, very easy to make big power with, boatloads of parts for them, and boatloads of used parts for them, you know, that people have sitting out there. Dave, my GM, just built his dream bike out of a 2011 Softail. Right. That thing's in 11. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it shows well, uh, you can see it. It's one of the recent posts on our Instagram, but it looks like a million dollars because he took it apart, painted the frame. That was the hardest part. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're willing to put the time in a custom bike, generally the best custom bikes have painted frames. Okay. So, uh, Dyna frames, unfortunately aren't as pretty as a soft tail frame but you can buy an 05 08 dyna for probably four thousand dollars right and that, that's still a lot of money but if you want to be in that harley scene or you want to get into that full-blown custom bike scene there's more parts available for a harley than there are for other models okay if you want to build a metric bike of any kind let's say it's a yamaha virago we talked about those earlier get it Figure out a fender off of something else or an aftermarket fender that you could put on it that totally changes the look of it. It maybe rides a little closer to the tire, doesn't have rivets on the side of it, weird bracketry or anything. And you'll see that bike suddenly become sexier, okay? And then change the paint on it completely. Like find somebody, there's, there's always the hobby painter that does a good job right? Find that guy. That guy exists in your community. If you just tell people, I, I would like to get my bike painted, they'll come to you with a guy who really wants just a canvas. And if you let your bike be his canvas, you'll be surprised at what you can end up with. It may not be perfect. It may not be exactly what you'd hope for, right? But at the end of the day, it will become your bike. And then you can add the floorboards. Then you can change the grips. Then you could put a flush mount axle on it. Then you can change the wheel. But as you're taking these steps, you can eventually get to a point where you're like, okay, this is perfect. This is me. This is my bike. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. I just thought, you know, for people wanting to get into it, you know, you look at these bikes like Dave's and you think, oh, that thing's got to cost a hundred grand. I don't have a hundred grand. What can yeah. I do? So yeah. that's, I was, you know, how do you get someone even started? And yeah, like you said, honestly, I, I, I would venture to say, I, I would, I would challenge you that Dave's bike is not between 15 and $20,000. And and folks, honestly, if you haven't seen all, it, is it on your website? Done. Um, it's on I your, don't it's know on your it's Instagram, Instagram for sure. It's definitely on the Instagram. And John Jackson was just here and took photos during a storm that looks so amazing. And they are, I think the post, it's probably maybe two posts back. And the pictures are incredible, but it's definitely a Vikla or a Cholo style bike. So it's very Southern California is kind of where that was born out of and the Latino Mexican culture and uh, very tall bars, long draping fenders, but it's, it's actually a factory paint. So that color, that green, I think it was called apple green or something, candy green. I think it was apple green or something. Anyway, that is the factory green color that it was. And the black two-tone is that it was, right? Hmm. So so, I mean, just right there, you took a factory color and just made it better by painting the frame and painting everything that color and having it bathed in that bright green color. Most people would have seen that green soft tail sitting at a dealership and went, eh, that's not me. I'm out. Right? I've, I'm probably but, one of those most people, but the bike looks it, so good now. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. And when you see it in person, you're like, you're kidding me, right? But Dave had this dream that he wanted a green he's irish he wanted a green bike and saw that bike sitting at rice honda uh triumph out in rapid city traded his customized triumph for it in fact i believe his triumph was maybe a 2013 and he traded down to this 2011 heritage and then took this heritage all apart you know there was some like you know the paint wasn't perfect on the motor and this and that and yet took the motor apart sent the heads and cylinders to diamond head, got them diamond cut, upgraded the pistons, talked to Luke uh, Leatherman, our friend at Fueling Cams, and got some cams for it. The rear wheel was a soft lip wheel. So all he had was our, one of our one of our friends is great. Randy Roethlisberger is great at spoking wheels, putting spokes in wheels, put twisted spokes in the stock wheel. Okay. Then got a smooth-lipped rim. 21 inch front rim and laced that to the stock hub with those same twisted spokes. And suddenly he has a big wheel in the front and a normal stock wheel in the back with white wall tires and added our fenders. The tank is stock has one of our dashes on it. It's not even raked frame. It's stock. It's just smooth. You grind off the welds and smooth them out and paint them. I'm telling you that bike is less than 20 grand and it is stunning. It really is. And you have to go back and find it. If you're, if you go to Instagram, uh, Dave's standing there in his green flannel, standing right next to it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah such Dave, a cool yeah. looking bike. So, yeah. So I, I think you can do a lot with, you know, whether you put a little fairing, a club fairing or an FXRP fairing on a Dyna, whether you want your soft tail to be, have a fat front tire, be really low and squatty. Whether you want to do that Vicla Cholo look that Dave did, whether you want to do uh, a club soft tail, whether, whether you're, you would 
doing a tall T-bar with a little fairing. And I mean, there's just a lot of, you know, whatever you can dream it up. And what I encourage people to do is go through all the imagery that you have because a lot of us guys anyway don't know how to use Pinterest. But if you'll take those images, save them on your phone, and then print them off, and then just find a wall in your garage or a bulletin board or something and put all those pictures up of the things you like. And then look at those images and study those, I'd say, 12, 15 images and go, you know what I love is I love the rear fender on this one, but I love the front fender on this one more. And it'll help you if you're not a visual person. I, I have that gift. But if you're not a visual person, it will help you understand, I want this piece from this one, this piece from this one. And it's like your own menu board and your own goal board. And then suddenly that becomes the bike you really want and the bike you would would hope to ride one day. And then just start taking off baby steps. And, you know, like they always say, it takes, you know, how to eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? That's right. Same deal. One part at a time. One more bikes question for you. Sure. How do you pick the names of your bikes? Uh, the names of my bikes sometimes will be from paint. Sometimes it'll come from a part. Uh, like one of my favorite bikes and one of the bikes I have that you can probably find, even if you Google it, is my Cherry Bomb Bobber. It has a Cherry Bomb muffler on it. No, none of the kids, the young guys that were working for me at the time knew what Cherry Bomb was. Mm-hmm. So I explained it to them and I fell in love with Cherry Bomb from a sticker on the glove box of my dad's 1970 Chevy pickup that he used to drag race. And, um, that's how I knew cherry bomb. And so that's that bike, you know, uh, Iris, my first ever FXR, uh, was nicknamed that because of the color of the purple paint was Iris purple. Carly, my youngest daughter, um, she has a bike, uh, nicknamed princess and everybody thinks it's cause she's a princess. And that's not the truth. The truth of it is, is Indian motorcycle made a bike called Princess. And there's a head badge off of that bicycle that one of her friends gave her. And she actually put that on the rigid framed red motorcycle that she built called Indian Princess. And then her Outrider bike was, we were talking about, she was the first person to ever customize a 2015 Scout when they first came out with them, right? Yep. She got the first one, cut it up first, unveiled it in New York City at the Javits at the International Motorcycle Show. And I said, wow, it's cool. You're the first, you know? And this this bike is a Maverick. It was out there first. And so she came up with the name Outrider. That was a person who would go ahead of his tribe or ahead of his posse and see if there was trouble he would ride ahead go over the hill look over the hill he was the first one right sure so that that's where that came from right and uh dave's vehicle you'll notice that green bike that's just cowboy vehicle dave is that guy he always has a cowboy hat on at the shows and uh the first time he went to a show he didn't bring his cowboy hat and i was appalled i said what are you doing <laughs> and he goes, well, I didn't, I didn't want to offend you. I don't have a branded cowboy hat. I said, I don't care. Like they know you as cowboy. You're cowboy Dave. That's who you are. It's okay. Just be who you are. And so cowboy Dave it was. And so now uh, you'll see in those pictures uh, that Craig was describing in Instagram, he has his cowboy hat on. In fact, the one post 
you can see how windy it was. If you swipe to the second slide or whatever, it's his cowboy hat flying off of him as he's trying to ride up to the photo shoot. So all good stuff. <laughs> that is. Yeah, I was curious because everybody names their yeah. vehicles. They name their they name their bikes, their yeah. cars. And I yeah. I don't. I don't have any, you know, nothing comes to mind. And I just, I don't know, I just never have done it. So I'm curious how people come up with their names. That's all. Hey, you know what? After you bond with this, with your uh, road king on the Hoka Hay, you may be calling it your pillow. You may call it something else. Uh, you're going to be, I understand you're going to be sleeping underneath that bike, beside that bike. You're trying to crank down some serious miles. you got a big project coming up. When does that kick off? It's this month sometime, right? Next month? Well, Doing so something? this this show will post on the 20th of June, and I will okay. be starting the following Sunday, the 26th, out of Rapid City. Oh, wow. Okay, so how do we, your listeners... Follow along. Um, we know where's Craig today. Right. So there's actually a tracker. There's tracking information. We have a tracker we installed on the motorcycle. Uh, we've been testing it to see how it's you know how it works. I don't. Know, we don't. The show's not supposed to be about me, but I grew up racing dirt bikes. Dad always worked on my. <laughs> Dad always worked on my stuff, and uh, right. you know the whole family's involved in when you're racing. It's just the whole family's involved. There's no denying it. So his part is he's got to have the bike ready for me. Doesn't have to, but he gets to, he wants, he wants to. It's totally, to. He wants yeah, to, I mean, absolutely yeah. he does. So we put the tracker on it. amazing, by the way. He I is. love you, Dad. And we've been testing the tracker, and I have tracking information, but if I give you that tracking information, you will only see me. So the Hokahe, within a day or two of this podcast going live, will have a tracker that tracks everybody. That's the one I want to give right out on. so you can see everybody involved. Cause that's what makes it cool, watching me so ride we go around to the country. Com or how do we find um, it? It'll be on the Wild Ass page, of course. Okay, so perfect. Yep, it'll be there, wild-ass.com, and I'll make sure you have it. I'm gonna, awesome. I'm gonna share. You know what? I'm gonna share a tracking link because between the recording of this show and the twentieth, two days from now, I'm gonna do a thousand right. mile day, and I'm gonna oh, share wow. that tracker okay. so some people can watch it. So I'll make sure you get that link. Very cool. Yeah. Check that out. So Well, yeah, and the only thing I have is August 4th. Again, it's our 25th anniversary, 15th anniversary of our pre-surgeon's party, and we would love to host you. Even if you're just riding down the interstate, it's the middle of June, and you see Mitchell, South Dakota, know that you're about six blocks from Cabela's at exit 332 from coming into our shop. Walk in. Uh, someone will greet you. Just say, one to stop by. I've never been here before. Be happy to give you a tour, show you around, and I think you will find what Craig says about the Clockworks team to be true. There's just good people here. Yeah, I think so. So that leads me to the pre-Sturgis party. So this show episode, so we're you're in your 25th year. Of course, I couldn't yeah. wait till the 25th episode to have you on. So we discussed this <laughs> early Very in the kind. year. So yep. this, the 20th of June, is the beginning of the 25th week of. 2022. So, ah, very it, creative. See, so for a guy who can't name his bikes, you're pretty clever. <laughs> I have on my calendar KW25 for the 4th of August. That is actually your birthday, right? Talk about the party. It, it, it is not my birth. It is Clockworks. Clockworks birthday. birthday. That is That's when what I'm we talking started, about. We started Clockworks then, actually, right before Sturgis is when we got our official tax license and did all that stuff. And, um, we, uh, Holly Hoffman, who 
uh, has been on Survivor. Uh, there's talk about her coming here to speak. We're trying to figure out if we want to do that at lunch that day. And uh, Scotty D's barbecue truck will be here. So people will be able to get themselves a sandwich and listen to an incredible motivational speech from our good friend Holly. There's going to be music uh, happening here at the shop as well. We're talking about at 4 o'clock on that day, uh, we're going to have a social media gathering. So if you have social media, you're an influencer, you like to ride motorcycles, you're a moto vlogger, any of that kind of stuff, um, we want to get all of you together because that has become such an amazing community. And we want to talk to those people and we want to make sure that your listeners, your people, Craig, you're included in this, that, you know, people can see who is Craig from Wild Ass, who is, um, you know, Fred Fisher from Riding Fish, who is this guy, who is that guy. So we're inviting people to come and get together here. We also have a group of veterans from Phoenix that is riding up, some uh, combat vets who are all getting together um, in you know, have bikes fixed up in various stages. We got one guy who is a paraplegic, actually, that just walked for the first time about two weeks ago, who is riding his sidecar bike. Richie Two Chairs is his name, and he's coming up, and we're excited for that and that whole group to come here to be at our party. There's another group that's leaving out of Minneapolis. It's called the Buffalo Chip Ride. You can find information about them on Instagram and on social media. And they're going to ride out here, be part of our party. They're staying at the one of the campgrounds here and are all riding out here together. Then they're going to meet here, I believe, at 9 o'clock on Friday morning, the 5th, and caravan across the state out to the chip and be there for the kickoff of Sturgis at the Buffalo Chip. So they'll be the special guest. So if that's something you're interested in, want to get in on part of that action, uh, that's an opportunity. Um, we've already talked to our friend Seabear and his stunting crew. It sounds like they're going to be here downtown. There'll be a car show downtown, some inflatable for the kids. There'll be all kinds of food trucks. And we're hoping uh, a really special concert for you all. Uh, no charge down on Main Street Mitchell. So we'll let you know as that all comes to fruition. So lots of stuff happening here on August 4th. I've only heard good things about the party, so it should be cool. And if... You know how it is getting help for the rally. If we can find enough yeah. help, then uh, I would love to throw Renee on the back of the bike and head over to see you for the afternoon. We would love that. We would love that. That would be fantastic. And we're encouraging everybody because I know the rally has started earlier and earlier. And uh, when we first started this party, it was you went out from the rally from the first Friday, uh, for sure, to the last Friday or the last Saturday. And then you kind of had to get going back home. And since then, you know, people travel plans have changed but we have kept our party the same for 15 years so on august 4th the thursday before come on in um, meet some people you never met before and maybe you can all get together on friday morning from whatever hotel or our shop and ride out together um, you know last year jeremy from lucky strike designs austin poland another custom painter bodyworks ben scooter steve all these guys came from all over the east coast and met here at our shop and you saw some of the best performance baggers that basically have broke the internet with these bikes uh, when they post them. And they all meet up here and ride out there on Friday morning. So really great opportunity for you to meet some of the movers and shakers behind the scenes of the motorcycle industry here that night. Sounds like a good time. So I have, I, I was going to talk about one more thing. We're getting a little long. Sure. Oh, I'm sorry. But this one, I know you're going to love talking about because uh, a couple of years ago you had a little boy. 
Well, not you. Your wife, Vanessa, did the work. Yeah. Um, yep. You just got to have the fun and named him Cargo. Tell us about him. Such a cute kid. Yeah. Yeah. He is a treat. Um, we landed in California after we learned we were pregnant. And I said, I absolutely don't want to find out what it is. And when that happens, you call it baby K or baby clock or baby this or baby that because you don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl. And I was going for the ultimate surprise. Somebody told me that's one of life's greatest surprises. Just don't find out, Brian. So I decided to follow their advice. And we landed in California. And Vanessa said, your precious cargo holders at Blue Nine. I would go get the rental car. She would grab the bag. We made this trip every two weeks for four and a half years because our, our beautiful daughter, Ashlyn, who just turned 13, uh, was living out there with her dad and is now living in South Dakota full time. And so she said, precious cargo. And I was like, perfect. Let's spell it with a K, like we spell clock with a K. And um, that'll be it. And we never told anybody we were pregnant unless we saw them in person. We live very social media lives. And so we would tell people in person and then COVID hit in March and March Daytona. That was the end of telling people that we were pregnant. I would take pictures. I would hide Vanessa kind of behind us or behind the group. And then we would just hashtag it precious cargo to see if anybody figured it out. One day, one of my friends from um, Spain said, are you guys pregnant? I saw you put precious cargo. And I'm like, yeah, we are actually. So then it was, how's Vanessa, how's cargo, right? So when we went to the hospital, she said, what do you want to do? And if it would have been a girl, it would have been Adeline Karen. My mom's name was Karen. She passed away in 2016. And of course, um, tradition in our family is the boy takes dad's name. Um, if there's a firstborn boy or oldest boy. And so his name, if he was going to be a boy, would be, middle name be Brian. And Vanessa goes in. And I said, I'm kind of okay with cargo. <laughs> and she goes, I knew it. You're such a marketer. Why do you do this? And I said, well, we just been talking about it as cargo, and I think it's cargo. So first biological child for me, I have three beautiful stepdaughters, um, Erica, Carly, and Ashlyn, and now cargo. And I didn't understand all of the things that parents do because I never had been through zero all the way up to eight years old. I stepped into the girls with lives in there, roughly 8, 11, 14. And um, wow, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, yet opens your eyes and makes you understand things because we take him everywhere. He's been to two Sturgis's. He's been to two Daytona's. He's been to Easter Jeep Safari. He's been to two King of Hammers off-road races. Um, he gets around. And everybody knows him. Everybody hangs out with him. Everybody chats with him. And once he warms up to you, he's fun little dude to be around and have at rallies. And yet, uh, as he gets older, he gets more mischievous and into more stuff. And yet, his vocabulary and the way he does things is amazing to me, I think, because of who he's exposed to and that people just talk to him, you know? Yeah, so for sure. He's definitely got a, a ton of life experience for a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's a treat. So he'll be, he'll be two on July 5th. So yeah, thanks for asking. He's it's been fun. Yeah, it's been slows me down a little bit at night. I don't I don't build as many bikes as night as I used to. I'm trying to stay focused on being a dad. My dad was always a worker and probably wasn't there as much as I'd hoped he'd been. And trying to do better. 
We can always improve, and you're definitely doing what you need to, for sure. He's a good kid. Um, Ashlyn's great. I remember her when she was just little. <laughs> <laughs> That's because she's a wild-ass seat cushion fan. She is. Uh, she's a, she's From a, a very young age. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she would be 11 years old or something. We would take her to shows, and she'd be like, I'm going to go work with Craig. And she'd take off running. And I'd go by the booth and I'd tell Craig, I'm like, do you want me to give you some money for her for lunch? Or is it okay if she's even in here? Is she driving your customers away? He's like, no, no, she's great. And inevitably, by the end of the event, I mean, she had the spiel down. She knew why you would want a wild ass seat cushion, why it was better for your bike, why you would enjoy your ride more. And it was incredible. It was fun to watch. And so thank you, Craig, for being such a good uh, mentor and figure in her life. It's fun for her. (laughs) Oh, She's awesome. So that brings us to, I, I see we've already exceeded the hour, which I appreciate that. I don't have a time, time limit, but out of respect for your time, I don't like to go too long. But my favorite part of the show is the five questions. So okay. these are to make you, I love to hear the reactions and answers that people give. So the first question, have you heard these? No. Okay. We're going in. I, I'm a horrible friend. I have not stopped <laughs> to listen to a podcast in so long. And I've got it actually on my list, on my notebook. So the fact that five questions are new to me, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to overtime. It's five questions. It's quick. Go. <laughs> I, I love that you haven't heard them then. So the first one is a belief of yours. What is something that you believe that other people think is insane? Oof. Um, my wife and daughter would tell you that I definitely believe that you cannot multitask everybody thinks they can multitask i don't believe that to be true i don't believe you can do two things at once and do them equally well (laughs) i believe you can do one thing really well and you should stay focused on it i'm a terrible focused person and so i believe that i know about multitasking and it doesn't work i like it this one's interesting to me because you're a guy that I see gets to travel all the time. You get to do a lot of things. But what is that you haven't done? What is the top thing on your bucket list right now? The top thing on my bucket list right now is honestly for my wife. My wife is Costa Rican, and she wants to go to Costa Rica, and I want to get her to Costa Rica. Um, I want to experience it with her. I want her to be in her natural culture. Um, and I want to, I want to watch, I want to be there. I want to carry your bags for her, whatever the case is. Right. And, um, for me personally, I have a car problem as much as I have a motorcycle problem. And I have my grandmother's cars on both sides of the family. They are their original cars. Yep. One is a 64 Ford galaxy named Lucille after my grandma, Lucille. And I have a 57 Chevy named Mabel after my grandma, Mabel Becker. And I also own my first ever car, which was a 1970 Chevelle. And I really want to see those three projects get across the finish line so that one day, even if my kids decide they don't like cars and they want to sell them, they can sell them, but they know the history and that we can make memories in there. Like I look forward to taking Ashland and Cargo Carly, Erica, whoever, right, for cheeseburgers in those cars or going to get ice cream or going to a cruise or I don't know. So there's that. Yeah, that's cool. 
and I'm following Lucille. I can't wait until she's done. No, me too. Oh, I'm, I'm working hard to try to get it finished by the end of the year, so we'll see. So my next question, to somebody who has never ridden or even been a passenger, how would you describe motorcycling to somebody that has not been on one? Go rent the movie, Why We Ride. Um, Brian Carroll and James Walker, friends of mine now, uh, introduced themselves to me back in 2012. And they said they're going to make a motorcycle movie. And I'm like, yeah, everybody makes a motorcycle movie. Good for you. They made a movie and they interviewed us in Sturgis. And the trailer that they sent out had my voice describing some things. And I felt like such a jackass because I didn't call them back. I didn't respond to them. I then called them and said, I've been praying about this. I don't have $10,000 to give you, but I can introduce you to some people. Bring your laptop with you to Long Beach, California, the IMS show. I introduced them to everybody I could. We've now become incredible friends. And the movie that they made was called Why We Ride. And it's, I know it's available on iTunes or Apple or that Apple TV, that kind of stuff. But I think it's on other platforms now as well. I talked to Brian Carroll about that. And he said, the one thing you won't notice about that movie, Brian, which now all you all have the secret, okay, is all of the scenes that are interviews are filmed indoors. Everything else is outdoors. When you're on a motorcycle, there's no roof. You see things that other people can't see, whether you're the passenger, whether you're the rider. I More people have seen that movie that never wanted to ride with their husbands or their significant other and went, could you take me for a ride on your motorcycle? I want to, I want to, I want to see. And so why that movie works so good is exactly probably why it's called Why We Ride. It covers all genres of motorcycles and I can't highly recommend it enough. It's timeless. It's good. It's, it's a good, good family movie. You should all watch it. It really is. My eyes got sweaty watching parts of it. It was that good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Perfect. That's because you know why you ride. That's right. The next question, I think you probably kind of answered it. What is your favorite non-motorcycle hobby? Oof, it's got to be cars. I mean, I, I just love everything that has to do with gasoline. I wouldn't care if it's you know racing lawnmowers. I'd be into it. That's really my hobbies are revolve around wheels, without a doubt. Without a doubt. The last of my five questions, and this one may make mm -hmm. you think a little bit, but maybe not. What is the best advice that you have gotten as a motorcyclist? Probably the best advice you can get as a motorcyclist is, uh, I, I'll break it down. There's two things. One, um, you don't have a $10 head, don't buy a $10 helmet. Um, by that, I mean, like, people say, I don't want to ride with a helmet. And I get it, but there's something incredible about riding with a really good helmet, one that really fits you. And if you buy a really good helmet, you may own it for the next 10 years, and you'll be much, much happier, right? Your ride will be incredible. And everybody tries to put all this money in their audio systems. You can buy a Cardo communicator that works with your phone. And now you can talk to the person on the back. You can each listen to your own music. Uh, technology has made helmets a godsend. And then the second thing would be is um, 
really more about Bonneville land speed racing, but it applies to everything and in life. And it's no sudden movement. Don't overreact. Okay. So if you're riding on gravel, my dad taught me this when I was young, you know, if you normally would have your bike in first gear, you should now have your bike in second gear or third gear, because if you get on it, it won't break the back tire loose because it will be lugging the motor. There won't be that torque there that you would have if you were in the proper gear. Okay. Yep. Yep. And that's the same situation. If you're going 180 miles an hour at Bonneville and suddenly the back end gets a little loose, treat it like you're on ice. And, you know, for those of us in the Northern States, you know, dang well, like if you're driving on ice, if you jerk it, you're going to go in the ditch. You're going to send that thing into a spin. No sudden movements is the key. And if you use no sudden movements even in life and you and you listen to somebody versus reacting to somebody, and I'm guilty of this all the time, I listen to answer rather than listening to listen and then getting my reaction. Does that sure. make sense? Yep. So there you go. Very good. All that, was... that and I didn't go over the overtime period. <laughs> so that kind of wraps it up. I'll let you get back to work. Do you have any last or any asks or requests for my listeners? No, I really just think, I hope the one thing that you take away is that relationships are everything. And that if you're not doing your part on the huge powder of relationship life, that you fix that, that you fix it with your brother, your sister, your coworker, your husband, your wife, your brother, your mother, whoever. And at the end of the day, you know, the reason Craig does this podcast is, in my opinion, because he's good at relationships. He's good at staying in touch. He's good at um, making sure he reaches out to you, whether it's your birthday, something happens in your life, or he just has a question. And last night, uh, my wife wants to do a thing called 75 hard, which is a very daunting task, Okay. You work out twice a day. You have to drink a gallon of water. You have to read a book. A gallon of water a day. Like, it's a lot. And so, anyway, Craig's done this probably two or three times now. And she reached out to him for advice. And he was quick to pick up the phone and give her good advice and break it down and, and tell her some hurdles that are coming. And I think anytime you can help someone through life and over hurdles, it's great, but it's even greater if you accept that help and you realize I can't do all things. I am not all things. You can't be the best painter, the best welder, the best engine builder, the best, best, best. You're probably really good at one of those things. If you're accepting of the people around you and their talents and you let them do their part, you're probably going to get there faster, quicker, better, easier. And I saw that in Vanessa last night as she picked up the phone and Craig helped. And it was fun to watch and it was just about a relationship that's grown over time. And she knew he would know. That's cool. There you Thanks. Go. Thanks. It's awesome. Where can we follow you? Um, my personal Instagram is at Mr. Works. Those cars Craig's talking about are at Clock's Garage. That's my four-wheel problem. And then, uh, of course, at Clockwork. K-L-O-C-K-W-E-R-K-S for all things clockwork. 
Uh, we have offshoots of that. We have Shineworks, which is a cleaning product. We have aisle mounts, Clockworks aisle mounts, which is our phone mounts. And of course, Clockworks off-road for all things UTV and, and dirt related. And then of course on Facebook, it's Clockworks, but it's custom cycles, custom with a K, cycles with a C. And um, we'd be happy to answer your questions. Um, and like I said, we're at exit 332 in Mitchell, South Dakota. Please stop by. We'd love to give you a tour and love to start that relationship. We'd love to love to know who you are. That's awesome. I will put links to all of those pages in the show notes. <laughs> so for the listeners, you can just scroll. You'll find them all in the show notes. Thank you so much for Brian. Folks, if you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. You can follow the adventures on Facebook or Instagram by looking for Real Wild Ass. And of course, I am Wild Ass Craig. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. And of course, thank you again, Brian, very much for coming on. Appreciate you having me on, and I cannot wait to watch you in the Hokahe, my friend. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Don't miss it. Thank you. <laughs>